and welcome to Second Look, the show at the intersection of faith, politics, and life. I am your host, Benjamin Green, and I want to help you explore the possibilities of an integrated life, a life in which politics, faith, culture, and and everyday life don't have to live in these separate boxes, but can combine to build a better you and help you strengthen your community. It is good to be back with you from our Christmas break. I'm sorry I didn't get an episode out last week, but I was sick and I figured you all didn't want to hear my sick voice anyway. So what I wanted to do this week is uh, a little bit of a New Year's tack. And so, I mean, I know we're 16 days into the new year by the time this episode comes out because the new day of the week for this show is Tuesday. Um, But even though we are this far into the year, it's not too late to to stop and pause and re-examine things that went on over the last year. You hear me say that phrase so much. And I talked about the last year with my wife, Meredith, in an episode a couple months ago. But I want to do a little bit different tack today, um, focusing strictly on the political arena because this show's primary audience is people in the political arena. So 2017 started us off with... um, we, We had the impending inauguration of President Donald Trump. And that's something I still haven't quite gotten used to. But we started off 2017, the very first month of the year, with all this not-my-president stuff happening from the left. Protests and um, more and more and more protests. And I think that it was a good um, indicator of what the whole year was going to be like. It was going to be a year of people feeling immensely frustrated and of other people not caring about that immense frustration and everybody handling it badly. So I want to talk about not my president for a minute. Um, first of all, I think obviously, obviously the the... The fact of the matter is that Donald Trump is the president of the United States. So unless you renounce your American citizenship, he is your president. And there are a lot of reasons that made him become your president. And that's not what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about is the fact that he is and that it's not good to live in denial. I don't know anything really about psychology, but I know that denial is a state of of grief. Um, I've picked that up from television and movies mostly. <laughs> I, I but but people when they are very frustrated or very upset or very depressed or su- some such thing, um, they tend to go through this phase of denial. And by and large, the, the American left has tried, intentionally tried to stay in this phase. We have people saying, he's not my president, over and over and over, not my president, I'm still with her, or even people who didn't like Hillary Clinton very much. 
um, they they look at Donald Trump and they say, this man is against everything I stand for and he is not my president. What what brings them there? I think it's a misconception of what the president is supposed to be. And um, this is something that has been going back since, oh, I don't even know, probably all the way back to Andrew Jackson, the very beginning of the the imperial presidency of of the president as sole figurehead of the U.S. government. Um, it it was not that aspect. The public psychology aspect of a presidential system was not well checked and balanced in our constitution. There is no way that our no mechanism that our constitution has to stop people from seeing the president of the United States as the most important person in the government. And by any measure today, whether or not that's supposed to be true constitutionally, today it is true that the president is the most influential, the most important person in the government, at least the most important public face. Maybe there's someone who pulls strings behind the scenes and I don't know who that person is, but... But the president is, by and large, the most important. So what we have is this huge swath of people, actually a a plurality of people who chose to vote in the last election, who voted for somebody else, Um, voted for the other major party candidate, or there's a decent chunk who voted for one of the smaller parties, of which I am one of them. I don't know if I ever said it on the show here before, but I voted for Daryl Castle in in 2016. I think I mentioned that on this show. But anyway, we have these these this huge chunk of the population. I don't know if it actually reached a majority of the voting population, but definitely a plurality of the voting population voted for someone other than this guy. But because of our electoral system, of which, for the record, I am a fan, because of the electoral college and the way it works, um, we got this other guy instead, this guy that lots of people didn't want. And so as people look at the federal government, they see the president and they see him as important and influential, and they want to see in that office a figure that they can identify with. And instead, they see a figure that they can't identify with. And so they shout out in denial, he's not my president. And I have seen a lot of people on the right wing spectrum of politics really criticizing people for this, calling it stupid, and to a degree it is, because like I said, fact is he is the president. But I think actually um, the right wing is in part to blame for this. I honestly and truly think that if the right wing had not been so horrible in their treatment of President Obama that it's possible Donald Trump wouldn't even be our president, but that even if he were our president, um, we we would not be seeing the same b- backlash that we are from the left. Um, for the record, that statement might have been confusing. I am no fan of Barack Obama's presidency. I am no fan of Donald Trump's presidency. Just want to make that clear. I'll repeat that as often as I have to. Um, but but the right was horrible to Obama. I mean, we had people at rallies holding up 
posters of him with a Hitler mustache, and we had, uh, I, I all sorts of I I knew people. I I don't know if this was a widespread thing, but I knew at least a few people praying that President Obama would die because of the things that he was doing in this country. Things that I, again, by and large disagreed with, but that's no way to treat a person, let alone the most important figurehead of your country. And in a way, this was the right living in denial. I can't tell you how many times between 2012 and 2016 I saw on social media something along the sentiment where people would retweet a news headline and say, Romney was right. Romney was right. Well, guess what? The 2012 election was settled. We didn't need to keep saying Romney was right. Romney was right. Like, it's, it's better to work within the system that you have than live pining for another result. Um, and, and that's how we started the year 2017. Everybody's unhappy. A lot of people are pining for a different result. And a lot of other people are saying, you guys are idiots. And then there's another huge set of people like myself caught in the middle saying, hey, can we all just calm down a little bit? And then fast forward to the end of 2017. Uh, We had the, the net neutrality debate. And I feel like this net neutrality debate is something that is really representative of the entirety of the dialogue in American politics. It was just a a great example of of everything that's wrong with us, Uh, a a great, um, I guess, x-ray machine to show us where we are broken as a nation. And we are very, very broken as a nation. The first of all, I am a techie person. I am by no means the techiest person ever. I am not, you know, a computer programmer. I'm not an engineer. I'm not anything like that. I did work um, as a help desk at, at an IT help desk for four years. I like technology. I understand a lot about technology. I have no idea what I think about net neutrality. (laughs) I hear the arguments from both sides and they're convincing arguments. I do know that the thing that makes me the most skeptical about net neutrality is that the big companies like Comcast say that they support it, which then leads me to be opposed to it. Because I mean, let's be honest, can we really trust, you know, Comcast, Verizon, Cox? Can, Can we really trust these companies to support regulation that will, um, help the little guy at their expense? I don't think so. So that made me suspicious of it. But I heard arguments on both sides of net neutrality and they were convincing to me. And I I have no idea where I fall down on this issue. But I do know one thing, that it was not talked about well. By and large on the left, it was talked about in terms of the, the Republicans and conservatives are selling your rights to corporations. And then, by and large, on the right, it was talked about in terms of the Democrats and progressives and liberals are idiots who are trying to take over the internet with the government and um, just destroy your freedom. And I think both sides made that destroy your freedom argument because so so my understanding of net neutrality is that the right says that we just need to leave the internet alone 
and that the left says that we need to regulate internet service providers to make sure that they provide equal access to every kind of website. And so a lot of people on the right said, we're regulating a problem that doesn't exist, um, so it's pointless. A lot of people on the left said, even if it doesn't exist now, it will someday, so let's get the regulation in place. I don't know if it's a good idea to regulate or not. I do know that by and large, without regulation, great things can happen. But I also know that without regulation, we, great, big, terrible things, great in that sense, big, terrible things can happen. I don't know what it would mean if Comcast suddenly decided to stop, to slow down the data connection to YouTube. Or, I'll do you one better, political targeting. What if Comcast decided to slow down the data connection to Outset Network, a conservative website? Um, my understanding is that now with the net neutrality decision reversed, they would be allowed to do that um, with no penalty from the government. Whereas with net neutrality regulation, they would not be allowed to do that. When we're talking about these issues, though, when we slip into terms of the other side is trying to destroy your freedom, that's almost never the case. It often feels like it's the case, but usually our disagreements are disagreements about definitions. We don't agree on what it means to be free. We don't agree on what freedom is. So if we don't agree on what freedom is, then there's no way we're going to agree on how that freedom should be regulated or not. I'll give you an example. We had, I mean, it's largely settled politically at this point, but we had the debate over the last 20 years over marriage and what marriage was going to look like in this country. And there was a huge population of the country whose argument was social conservatives want to stop you from having rights. They want you to not be free. We, on the other hand, want marriage equality. That was the argument that was made. Ryan Anderson is a guy who speaks well on social issues. He's a social conservative. And, I mean, as with anybody, I obviously don't agree with everything that he says. But one thing I really liked about his messaging on the marriage issue is he worked really hard to reframe the discussion. Um, he would go in places and say that everybody wants marriage equality and that instead of having the debate in these with these politically charged terms, we need to understand this is not a debate over who has access to marriage. This is a debate over what marriage is. That's a framing that I think is a lot more accurate. So in the marriage debate, um, some people were arguing that marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And other people were arguing that marriage is essentially a social contract between two individuals. And the second view has largely won out across society. 
But I think it's helpful to think of a lot of political debates in terms of this issue. So going back again to net neutrality, the right says the left is trying to destroy your freedom by using the government to take over the internet. And the left says the right is trying to destroy your freedom by selling it to corporations. Neither one of those things is entirely true. We disagree on what freedom is. A lot of people on the left might think that freedom means having equal access to things. Um, being an equal member of society. Equality is a topic that comes up a lot in more leftward political discussions. Whereas people on the right, um, especially as libertarianism and its influence has continued to grow on the right over the last 10 years or so, um, people on the right tend to think that freedom means being able to do whatever you want. I don't agree with either one of those definitions, as I think I talked about in my episodes about why I'm not a libertarian anymore. But here's what I want to point out. In looking at 2017, we had a year that started with huge swaths of the population living in denial. And we had a year that ended with the political... Um, discourse of a nation being stuck in this realm of bad faith and arguments that ignore actual differences in thought in favor of narratives. But as I've talked about, this is all political. So you have to remember that in addition to those two things, Throughout the whole of 2017, there's a huge number of people in this country who didn't care about either thing. Even if they voted, they might not have cared who won, and a huge number of people did not vote. I think that 2017 was a year, even only looking, as we've done today, at the politics of the very beginning and the very end of the year, even only looking at that, we can see that 2017 was a year that exposed a lot of dysfunction in our nation. And we didn't just see this politically. We saw this in terms of violence in our land. We saw this in terms of people in power being um, exposed as being monsters. Uh, we, we saw this over and over and over again, that we are a deeply broken and dysfunctional place. So here's what I want to do with you coming into 2018. I want this show to be a place where that dysfunction doesn't exist. I want to not be trapped in these lines of of thinking that are so um, useless to the greater good. I want this show to add value to your life. So here's my... I'm just laying out for you this plan for this show this year. Um, And there there are no specifics forthcoming, but we're going to have episodes on politics. And... In those episodes, I want to have conversations with people, sometimes people on the right, sometimes people on the left. We know I am a conservative, um, and so that perspective will always be voiced. 
But I want to be able to have conversations with people. So we're going to do some of that this year. And we're also going to have conversations about non-political things in just a few weeks, hopefully, if we can get it all worked out. Um, we're going to have some episodes, an episode or two about my favorite show, The West Wing. Don't at me if you don't like it. <laughs> um, and then we're, we're going to do episodes, non, non-political ones, where we, we talk more about communities, where we talk more about what you can do. Practical action. As I said when I introed the show today, I want to help you make a real impact on your community. Because when we look at our national dysfunction, I think our remedy is not to try and bind that national system back into order from the top down. I really think it has to start from the bottom up. I think it has to start locally. So I want to make sure that every episode of this show, whether it's political, whether it's non-political, every episode we have, I want to make sure helps you in some concrete way. So today, the message that I want you to take home is to to make sure that when you're having discussions with people, be they political or non-political, when you're having conversations or perhaps even more importantly, when you're having arguments or debates, make sure that you're not framing your the, the person you're opposed to or the person you're talking with, make sure you're not framing them in, in definitions of your conception. Make sure that you are seeing them for what they actually are, that you are listening to them for what they actually mean, and ask questions. Think about how much better the net neutrality debate would have been if we had someone in power, like maybe someone on the FCC, Asking, you know, why do you think it makes people more free to have or to not have net neutrality? If, if we had people talking in terms of probing deeper to try and come up with the real motivations behind thinking. Boy, I don't know if that sentence made any sense. If, if we had people on the national stage really trying to understand each other's thinking that we'd be a lot better off. So that is my assignment for you um, with this episode, is to make sure when you talk to people, you're doing so in good faith, that you fully understand what they're saying, and that you ask questions if you don't. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Second Look. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas break. I know I did. Tell me all about yours. Tell me about today's episode. Hit me up on Twitter at BGreenAZ. And I will be happy to talk about anything I said on today's show. Hopefully this show added some value to your day. I hope that you will go to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast and check out the other podcasts from the Outset Network. See what suits your fancy. Even though, as I mentioned in the episode earlier, I am not a libertarian anymore, I enjoy listening to Caleb Franz's Liberty Show where he, he shares some libertarian ideas over there. 
Um, and of course, please head on into iTunes and give us a rating. Five stars is our favorite, but give us an honest rating. Um, the, we can really gain some exposure that way, grow the show, grow the network. So like I said, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time.